Hey everybody, it is Nick here. Welcome to the podcast. So let me ask you a question. When did you stop playing with your toys? Or maybe I should ask, when did you stop having fun? Period. Okay, you're probably thinking, what the heck, Nick? Why are you asking us these questions? Well, hear me out. As we get older, we are bound to make less and less time for the things that we enjoy. I think it's a healthy awareness exercise to ask ourselves. If we make time for them now, would we still enjoy doing those things we have decided we no longer have time to do? And if the answer to that is yes, what are we waiting for? Well, today's show, Scale Up with Nick Bradley, another episode, another amazing guest. This week, we have none other than Azelle Wade, aka The Toy Coach, on the show. She's the host of Making It in the Toy Industry podcast and has been featured on the Toys That Built America on the History Channel and is someone who, over the past decade, has been having so much fun working with companies like Toys R Us, Party City, and Madame Alexander, just to name a few. Azelle's vibrant manner of sharing her journey might make you actually ask the question, would I quit my current job to start a business I truly believe in. And that helped me just like get in touch with my own creativity and get in touch with the purpose behind all this like toy creation. It's to make something like fun and enjoyable. Azelle also shares heaps of value about how you can make a positive impact in the corporate world as long as you put your heart and your mind into what you do. You see, too often we ask ourselves if our ideas are worth taking the risk for. And in this episode, you will learn three things. Why following your passion or investing in a niche you enjoy isn't overrated at all. Number two, how to embrace and turn your strange ideas into multi-million dollar brands. And number three, how you can have a whole lot of fun in the process. I want to have a business where I feel good about it and I feel like I'm uplifting myself and I'm using all my skills and I have time to do that and then I can be better, a better person for my partner and for the people I interact with. Without further ado, here she is. Let's get toyetic with the lovely Azelle Wade. Hey everybody, it is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to another episode of Scale Up. And this week I have something extra special for you. I have Ajel with me, Ajel Wade, who is known as the Toy Coach. Now, I know your brain's probably going in all sorts of places here, right? But we are going to talk about toys. Now, we can talk about a lot more than that. Um, Ajel, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me, Nick. We're going to do this. Let's do this. We're going to do this. Yeah. Right. So the, the cool thing, right, is I always like to say fun and interesting people get on this show. Um, not interesting, boring people don't. So yeah, as we're having this conversation, some people will see this on YouTube, but you have got, I have to say, this is the brightest set. Like your colors are obviously off the charts, but I should expect that because we're going to be talking about toys. But we've got green. We've got like, you know, a sort of champagne color. We've got some tropical pink. So my best friend painted this mural for me. And what does it um, say? He it says, hey, there, toy people. And at the very top, you can't see my at symbols there. At the toy coaches there, it's like very brand. Wow! So this is this is a this is a masterclass in branding. I, I kind of think I'm pretty good at it, but this is going to be even better. And for those who are watching, you'll see a very very bright green jumper that Ajel's wearing, and and even more impressive hair. I've got to be honest, which is like bright pink. Thank you. Thank there you. There you go. Yeah. So welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. This is, as I, as I mentioned before we press record, this is a bit of a business podcast, but that can get a bit boring. Let's, let's kick into you know, what, what you've done to date, if you like, and the backstory that's led you to being known as the toy coach. Yeah. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Hold on. I hear something vibrating and I don't want it to come. That's okay. We, we, this is a family show and also dogs come in, uh, kids come in. Uh, and all sorts of other bits. This is true. This is true. Like I've had, really? okay, we're well, I had um, a guy called Evan Carmichael come on, who's like amazing YouTube dude. And he ended up coaching my nine-year-old daughter live on how she can build her YouTube channel. Cause she loves playing uh, Minecraft. Oh, that's so cool. So, that is okay. So you understand things. Happen. I do, but they do. So let's go. I'm not, I don't edit it. So, you know, if something falls <laughs> off, if your mic dies or whatever, we just go. So okay, you know, that's how it is. Good. 
So, uh, yeah. So how I got started in the toy coach, well, how I got started in the toy industry, I always wanted to work with kids. I met a woman who actually studied exhibition design and she showed me her portfolio and I was like, oh, that's so cool. I want to do that. Like just what your portfolio has. I want to do that. And it was mostly like, um, like event planning design, window display design. So I just followed her footsteps and went to this school called the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. Okay, and I, yep. studied, I studied exhibition design. But That's quite a famous school, isn't it, as well, in, in oh. terms of this thing? It's, it's quite well known. Is that right? Am I correcting that? Is it? I mean, I guess so. But I went there because it was the most affordable option for me. <laughs> right, okay. Real. Let's be real. But um, yeah, it's a cool school. Uh, it's famous for fashion, yes. not as famous for toy design, which is where I went after I did ex exhibition design. So they have a toy design program. It only accepts like 40 people a year, uh, but they have the highest job placement rating. And so I was like, yeah, that sounds like a fun career. I get to work with kids. I could get a job. Let's do that. You know, <laughs> and then, then I worked. But, but, but just, I mean, I'm going to interject a lot because I like to no, go no, into no, these no. things. What? there's got to be more to it than that, right? Or, or was there not more to it than that? It was just like, actually, like it's a very simple thing and, I'm, and, I, and I get my happiness from, from the simplicity of it. So I knew I wanted to work with kids. So for a long time, I wanted to be a teacher, right? My sister yep. said, absolutely not. You won't make enough money to live. No. So I was constantly. <laughs> it's a very smart sister. Like that's unfortunately, I don't. I don't like the fact that that's a reality. I think you know, teaching is one of the most underappreciated things in the world, right? But exactly, I see the truth yeah. in that. There, there is too much truth in it. So yeah, so she just wouldn't let me do that, and I was like, okay, Amaya, great, I will figure something out. So I then I, I started to focus on art. Like I love art and I love creating things. And then I, I told you, I met this woman. I saw her portfolio. I followed her footsteps, went to school for exhibition design. A teacher saw that all of my exhibition designs, whenever I could, would like incorporate toys, like, or like kids or like just like, I did a window display where we were creating like a winter scene to sell like jewelry. And okay. I had a Barbie and a Ken doll recreating the famous kiss after which war some more that famous kiss was like a nurse and a soldier um <laughs> so we had recreated that kiss and like one of my teachers was like you know why don't you check out like the toy design program here and i was like that doesn't sound like a real career that will make me any money and <laughs> he was like so it's oh, a little bit like teaching but just a bit better a bit a little bit no it no it's a, Sounds a lot more fun, fun i've got to be honest yeah. So, so yeah, so he told me to check it out. I didn't believe him that it was a real career. He was like, yeah, no, there's money in the toy industry. You should go there. And I was like, okay. So I met the head of the department. She was lovely. She took a liking to me and she told me, take these pre toy design classes to see if you really like it and then apply. So like, that's pretty much what happened. And she, I was really like, let me be honest. I was like, not the best student out of ever, like, I was a good student, but I was not the most talented. So what, I, what does that, what does that mean? Okay. So let's, so when you say, because I think some, if you're really passionate about something yeah, and you love it, sometimes yeah. you don't have to be the most gifted, right. In whatever the thing is, but you just love it so much that that carries you. Where, where were you on that? Well, but I think at such a young age, it's hard to maintain that kind of passion when you are suck. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I don't know how old you are, and I'm not quite sure when you did it. But I mean, are you, what, were you just distracted or something, or just like because sometimes? No, no, no. I am a very always been very focused, and that's what the head of the department loved about me—that I was just such a worker and a doer. I put my headphones on and just like do. But I literally was like the one of the least talented people in this. <laughs> So in, oh, in toy design, I, I self-deprecating self people on this show don't work. That's that's not cool, right? Let's I, be... I said was was. <laughs> oh, let me, let me oh, good. <laughs> let me continue. No, no, no. So, so I worked my butt off. Um, and what it was was that the the program was really designed around illustration, and illustration wasn't my strong suit. I learned, I did what I could, whatever. Um, but what was my strong suit was like, um, well, design, like th graphic design and then like 3D design. So I was able, once we got through like first semester where everything was drawing and we got onto like computers, then I got to like really shine. And it was like, oh, Agile's like at the level of everybody else. Cause I can like do graphics. I can do 3D modeling and I can, I could do all, I could build stuff in a shop. Like we would build toys in a shop. So that helped, but there was a rough patch where I had to figure some things out. <laughs> Oh, moment. you've opened the, you've opened the door now. So, so what, what, what was that? <laughs> the rough patch? Yeah. Oh, uh, so one, one of my first podcast episodes, I talk about how I go to a, I went to dinner with a friend and I was like trying to come up with toy ideas. And I looked at this friend and I was like, why did you let me go into this field? I don't know what I'm doing. And like, 
So here's the problem. When I used to come up with toy ideas, I used to look at toys that exist already in the world. And I used to say, how can I make that better? How can I make a better Barbie? How can I make a better Lego? And then eventually I realized like that is the worst way to approach like creation and product development. And instead I started looking at like, what do I enjoy doing and how are kids already playing? What can I create that will um, kind of facilitate more play with how kids are already playing. So I would be this weirdo and go to like Central Park and hang out by one of my favorite statues, <laughs> the Alice in Wonderland statue. And I would just like watch kids playing and I'd be like, all right, what are they doing? And like, they're picking up a rock. Okay. That's like, and I would take notes and try to figure out like, what do they like to do? Like they have to stack and build and knock things over. And then I would. Did you have parents it. coming up to you saying, no. what the hell are you doing? Like, and no. I can understand why that's a rough patch. Like, you know, like you get accused yeah. of just sort of sitting there being the weird person. Right. Yeah. Mind you, you don't look strange. So like, no, you know, no. I mean, but, but even so. It's New York city. People watching is like the easiest thing to do here. It was really easy to just see Agreed. kids playing and stuff, but it, it helped like so much to get away from like looking at what everybody else is doing and trying to match up. And then instead now looking at what the person I'm making these products for kids, like, what are they doing? What do they love? What do they enjoy? And now today I'll like go and ask my cousins, like my little cousins questions, like, what do you want to play with? How do you play with stuff? And that helped me just like get in touch with my own creativity and get in touch with the purpose behind all this, like toy creation. It's to make something like fun and enjoyable. So I have a whole new way to approach. So what was driving to go back a couple of, couple of seconds there. Yeah. Yeah. What was driving the need to build a better sandbox to use that example? What was inside you at that point to think that that was what, that was how you became successful. Uh, Like how to come up with better ideas. Yeah. So the way, the way you referenced it was you were trying to make like a better Barbie or whatever else. And like, it's just an interesting way of approaching it. I'm just curious about where that came from. I think, I don't know. I guess I just thought, okay, let's think about that. I probably just thought that was the way, the way that people came up with ideas. I, maybe it was how idea like toy products were like always marketed kind of comparing to one another. Um, and also it was probably the fact that most of our, uh, projects would be, you know, blue sky, like here, we want you to design a doll. There are no limitations. There's like no theme, just whatever you want. And I think for anybody, when you have that like blue sky opportunity to design, it's actually harder than designing within limitations because within limitations, yeah, you're focused. I get it. So yeah, I I look at that from just a general business perspective. Sometimes if you have uh, innovation within a structure, you know, the way we put it is easier because you have at least a frame of what you're trying to do. Um, But you know, what's interesting to me is what you said around that that way that approach initially was stifling your creativity and when you realized it wasn't about that it was about connecting with the person that matters most the child yeah, yeah. that then opened up something else what did that feel like because you mentioned rough patch before is the rough patch that you weren't creative where you should be and then all of a sudden it just started to come to you yeah it was really i think freeing and validating it just felt like okay i can do this and also it's, it's, um, you can replicate it. Like you can replicate that process in a, in like an organic way. Do you have a methodology that you work to? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I teach it. I mean, I like to, okay. I like to do a couple of things. First, I like to get to know what is already in the market. So you've got to know the companies that already exist, what they're creating. Like, that's just like the background information you have to have. Um, then you have to know what you're planning to create. Like you have to build yourself some parameters, some limitations. Like, is it going to be a $10 product, a $20 product? What's the category? Um, from there, I like to research heavy on trends. So I like to look at like, what's Disney coming out with in the next five years? What movie releases are coming out? I like to look at like theme parks or like popular rides. I like to look at fashion, like prints and children's clothing will give you ideas for like themes and stuff. But then once you get to that point, that's where I like to disconnect from all the research and do the looking at what kids are doing. So if it's like kids in my family, if I go to like a party and there are kids there, I'm like, how are they playing? What's going on? What are the kids into? I go on TikTok even to just see like, what are the kids, where the kids hashtags they're following? And just to figure out, um, just to kind of get away from the research and see what, how they're already playing, what they already love, and then try to combine those two things. And it's more fun that way. Okay. It's interesting. It's not what I expected, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> not, not that I was trying to prejudge it. I, I kind of thought, and listen, the, the, um, the caveat to this is I'm not very creative, right? Oh, so I, okay. I used to go into businesses and turn them around. So I would take someone's idea, um, mm-hmm. some, someone's innovation, and then I would improve on it. So I was probably okay. more the Barbie Ken guy. 
Okay. That's weird. Um, as opposed to like the blue sky thing. So I would have thought that it would have come from, you know, probably just coming up with creative ideas and then validating those ideas. But what you're saying to replay it right. is you're researching quite a lot first. So the inspiration's coming from research and then that's helping shape what you do. Yeah. It's interesting that you think that's weird. I think it's also a great process because most people already have a toy idea that come to me anyway. Okay. So they, but they skip over the research. So they need to go back to that first process to make sure that what they're, what they've come up with one doesn't exist already, but two is needed. Um, and three makes sense. Yeah. That's the process I would have expected. I can see why your way of doing it makes more sense, you know, because what, what I want to kind of play with here a bit though is, and we talk a lot here about, um, positioning, you know, your brands and also niches or being very, very kind of focused on one thing. Yeah. I, I don't think I've had anyone on this show ever that is so like micro niched. Now take that as a compliment, by the way, because like if someone comes to me and their business is failing, which happens yeah. a lot, the first thing I'd say to them is don't try and mean a lot to everyone. Try and mean, you know, a lot to someone. You've got to be really, you've got to really, one person has to matter. Yeah. So the toy coach and what you do now is, you know, if, if I'm clear, you know, you, you help people as well in the industry, you yeah. coach them with ideas. How, how did you do what, what, why? Why? Yeah. I sometimes ask, you know, it's so funny. I hear people saying like, you might, you might not be niche enough. And for a while I oh my was God. thinking those messages, <laughs> I was thinking those messages were for me. And I was like, wait, is the toy industry not niche enough? And I was trying to figure out like, what do I have to do? Yeah. But you then, have to be the yeah. Barbie toy coach or the I'm, Star Wars toy right. coach. <laughs> I mean, that's a little um, bit limiting because you'd have to get a license from someone for that, from uh, right. Lucas Films or something. Yeah, I couldn't do that. But yeah, so I I agree. It was a it was a risky move here. But what happened is I made the podcast. I have a podcast. I made that toy podcast first. And then people were messaging me and they were like, Michelle, like I have a couple of questions or can you can you work with me and all this stuff? And then I said, no, I can't because I actually work full time in the toy industry. So like I legally can't like work with you on your project. So you started the podcast beforehand. So your brand, let's say, or your um, inspiration to help people happen yeah. while you were employed. Yeah. So my inspiration okay. to help people. Yeah. I was at a toy industry event and it's this event where inventors and entrepreneurs come and this woman, um, they come there to pitch their ideas. And this woman was sitting at a table at like a dinner with me and she was like showing me her game. And she was like, I'm so excited about this game. You got to see this video of me and my family playing it. I'm like, she's like, it's amazing. And I was like, well, I'm a VP of brand and product at a toy company. I was like, we could license it. Like, tell me more about it and I can show it to my boss. But she really didn't know what I needed. And she was so excited. Like she was giving me like benefits of her product, but she wasn't giving me features. I needed to know like specifically like, what is it? And she couldn't explain it. And, and so I couldn't help her. And she wanted me to help her like refine her idea. And I was like, I can't do that. So eventually I was like, why isn't there some resource that just tells people what they need to do, like what they need to bring to toy companies, like what we need to see, why you might want to bring it to them or how to launch it on your own. So then I started this podcast and I told my bosses and I was like, I'm going to make a podcast. Hope this is okay. It's not in my contract. I can't. So I'm doing it. And then that's still, that's still quite risky. Trust me. I did it as well. I was told to quit when I was working in private equity. Well, they said, I was told you've got to either stop the podcast or you've got to um, quit your job. Yeah. And yeah. so I, you know, what's funny though. I knew it was coming. I had a letter in my bag waiting for that conversation. And that's wow. the day. I, yeah. But that was really? the podcast at that point had already done pretty well. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I'd stayed longer, maybe that would have happened. Um, but I was also very strategic about the things I was saying. They were very like um, not specific to the company and specific to my methodologies uh, early. You could tell that in the early episodes. But, and I wasn't having any guests. So it wasn't like I'm inviting our competitors to come onto my podcast. Like that would have probably been a problem. But did um, you say at that point in time that you worked for that company? Was that, was that kind of commonplace or someone would have to search on LinkedIn or something to find that out? I mean, I didn't say it on the podcast. No. And I, yeah, they would have to look on LinkedIn. When I first started the toy coach, I actually didn't have my face anywhere. Um, that was because I thought people wouldn't take it seriously. Being a woman and being a black woman, I thought they would, and being young, I mean, I'm not that young, but I look younger than I am. So people would have just said, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Um, so I hid my face completely. I had a little like avatar for the toy coach for the longest time. 
Um, but then I, the podcast was doing well and the pandemic hit and I was working from home and I was like, you know what, this is really nice being at home. I want to do this more. So I quit my job. And, uh, well, that, no, that, well, that's called the great resignation. Now everyone's doing it. But, um, yeah. what's, uh, when you, when you started to construct that, you know, so there's a bit of a, this is how I want my life to be. Uh, what do I know? What can I do? How did you come up with the toy coach? Cause I do want to get back to product development in a minute, but you know, it's it's quite an interesting, I I would say from the outside, quite risky because your audience, I take it is people in the toy industry who want coaching on product development and brand. They're people usually outside of the toy industry. Are the ones who are creating the ideas that would be pitched to what your role was when you were a VP. Yeah. Or the people that, um, or the people that want to just make their own toy company. Like they want, they're like an individual and they want to make and manufacture a doll or something like that. So it start when I first started, it was focused against the people who want to make an idea and pitch it to a toy company. Um, and then there were, then it was, then it grew and became more entrepreneurs also want to make their own product. Okay. Right. And your process, just to jump back to the product development side of things, yeah. how different do you think that is? And you may not know this because of your experience, but how different do you think it is in the toy industry versus product development and innovation in any industry? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I have worked in like the uh, textiles a little bit. I would say it's probably very similar. The only difference would probably be how important and scary safety testing is. And then- Yeah, okay, I get that. Maybe the photo shoot aspect, it's so involved with like kids. Um, and then the, the product, te- I mean, I guess the product testing, just cause it's like way more fun and also easier. Like once we get it safety tested is one thing, but yeah. product testing as like a product developer is like, you get the samples of a toy to your, to your desk and you literally have to like play with it. So like, sometimes I would have days of the week where I was like, I'm going to go to work and play with my toys all day. <laughs> it's like that. I suppose you'd also have to get, I mean, there'd be a lot of, um, focus groups with kids. <laughs> As well, just uh, you know, how long? Because I buy my kids stuff, they're getting older now, they're sort of nine and seven. And uh, we went and spent a fortune on all this horse toy stuff for Christmas. Um, yeah, well, it's not that interesting because they didn't play with it. All they did was all they they did was get the tablets out and start playing games. Oh, there isn't (laughs) smaller companies, there isn't as much testing as you would think. No, I think I think there's nothing wrong with the toys. I think there's a I don't know. Do you remember the time when you were maybe I don't know, somewhere between nine and 11 where toys, this may not have happened to you. It happened to me though, where you used to play with toys all the time. And then all of a sudden you didn't. Cause I can, I can almost remember the year that I started, I suddenly lost interest in it. I don't remember. I remember maybe the last time I laid out my Polly pockets, I was obsessed, <laughs> but I don't remember how old I was. I don't remember how old I was. I was 10 and I, and for me, it was um, star Wars figures because they were massive oh, back then. And it was yeah. uh, He-Man, if you know what, He-Man and Sheila. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, they yeah. were like muscly dudes and stuff. What, do you, what but, do you think made you stop? What happened? Um, that's a great question too. I um, I think there's a point where and when, back when I was younger, we didn't have like games, like computer games to really sort of take us away. I, I think there's a point where your imagination changes or your ability, and this is my experience, so I don't want this to go, you know, be what everyone goes through. But I think other things start to take over your mind space. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I, this is my, per- so, so whereas I could be very, and I remember this, this is like going back to my childhood now. I'm going to get goosebumps. Um, I got goosebumps. Yeah. Well, I used to, I used to go out into the garden and I used to like figurines. I wasn't the toy car guy. I was like figurines. And I used to yeah, yeah. role play these figurines, the Star Wars yeah. characters. And I'd sometimes recreate the stuff from the movies, but quite often I would just create different things. And, and that used to like take me hours and hours. I'd be out there doing it. Um, and I can still remember like how, how into it I was. And sometimes I'd go into like um, where there was gardens with like things and I'd make it like a forest they were playing in and all this. And then I think as things started to get more complex, so school got more complex, uh, personal life got more complex. You know, I just think that my ability to stay focused in that imaginary world changed. Oh, that's so I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm sort of almost doing a live, um, what do you call it? Therapy session here. Um, I, lo- I love, this is, I might, this is inspiration for a podcast episode. Well, there you go. I don't know. Well, <laughs> hey, there, well hey, there you go. Um, not that I'm any expert in this at all, but I, but you know how there's, I, I sort of believe life is about moments, right? And, and, and you remember weird things sometimes. Do you ever get that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but and you can't work out why yeah. i can i can remember even to this day where i was very specific um sessions if you like playing with these yeah. toys and what i did like with absolute crystal clarity as if i was there wow that's so crazy. that's anyway. so so i so i like you i used to set up my poly pockets on a giant dining room table like a city and I would set up rows and rows of them like a neighborhood. And then I would have my poly cars like driving all around and I would have them go to school. And I had a little teacher poly who would like gather the other polys for school. And I remember when I packed them up for the last time, I think I remember feeling like, oh, this was so much work to set this up. And I didn't even play it that long. And then I just never unpacked it. And then I transferred all that energy into like the Sims and became super obsessed with that game. But <laughs> my, so- my nine-year-old's playing Sims 4 at the moment. So oh we know God, that. So dangerous. <laughs> but that is so interesting. Like the idea that you you just don't even have the mind space for it anymore. I don't know if you know, but the in the pandemic, the toy industry grew like exponentially. We had like double digit growth when normally we have single digit growth. Wow. Explain that to yeah. me. Is that because people, was, um, kids were stuck at home and parents bought them more toys or? So the first thing that spiked was games. So okay. it was like families, like needing to play games. Right. Uh, but then like Barbie released this, like a series of movies, I think it was on Netflix and then okay. Barbie doll sales skyrocketed. Um, then summer hit and then outdoor toys were like, like, so every category I would say had either like, I would say it was like a 5% and then some had, was it like a 10% increase? They all had like five to 10% increases, um, from the last, from 2020 to 2021. It's mm. been incra- crazy, but I wonder, like you said, it's because people have that mind space now to play because they're not spending so much time traveling back and yep. forth or even working. I think there's a, one other thing you've just sparked a thought, which is, yeah. you, you know how uh, to, to, to sort of bridge that into mindfulness for a second, right? You know how there are some uh, some science behind the fact that, you know, getting out a coloring in book and, and coloring in something helps get your mind to a place where you just have, haven't got the same complexity or stress that can happen in normal life. And I do wonder if there's something within all of that sort of stuff, because as I was growing up, things were easier when I was probably before 10 than after 10. And I then was, you know, I, I was playing more and then, uh-huh. then you kind of get compounded with life, whatever that means, but for different people. And maybe the connection point is you have to go back sometimes to play as in play in the inverted commas play just to feel balanced. I, I agree. So I was listening to a podcast that's a business podcast, but it was about, but this episode was more mindfulness focused. And it was talking about how for some people, um, meditation or like, or like call, I'm thinking the coloring example you gave Yes, yeah. where you're sitting still isn't really ideal for them because for them, they have like all this negative self-talk and that might compound, you know, their minds while they're doing this, like still practice. And I feel like that's me. And today, one of the things I did is I went like kickboxing or, or I went actual boxing, but that for me, when I was done, I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm still, I have space to do all of the things now. That's what I, for me works. No, I think that's true. <clears throat> and I think definitely creativity gets sparked from those type of points where you can actually slow down to speed up. Right. As yeah. A thing. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So let's play around. Not, I can't get away from playing toys now. Um, so let, let's, let's get around a little bit. Cause you've, you've done some quite interesting things. You've had quite a lot of success with some patents and stuff like that as well. What I, I kind of, I always like to, to get some practicalities on these conversations. So if anyone's out there listening, they might be thinking, Oh, listen, I'm not in the toy industry. So this is an irrelevant conversation, which is a very stupid thing to say. So, but let's just talk about, you had some success about getting things through and building great products. Can we talk about some of your successful uh, inventions, if we want to call it that, and how they came about? Yeah, my successful or patented inventions, if that's yep. what you're looking at, happened really early on in my career. First job. Oh, and wow. okay. I didn't start realizing how impactful they were or what that really meant until four years ago. I didn't realize how important that was. So, um, what happened was I was had to design within restrictions. I came, I was, you know, I came to work and they were like, Hey, we want to go after, um, this market, which was a, a screen printing market at the time. 
And they were like, yeah, we need some sort of innovation to go after this market. So my boss and I, at the time, we were in this tiny little innovation team. We spent weeks coming up with an entire brand concept for uh, screen printing in, at the time there was a recession, cause I think it was like 2008 or something. And so we, we came up with this whole concept about being like a recessionista and we built out like almost like a marketing campaign and a product line. And we pitched it and the CMO hated it. <laughs> he was like, no, he was like, that is not enough. And we can't pitch that. And we were pitching, I think to Walmart. So, Ooh, okay. yeah. So, so then we, we went back and my boss was like, Agile, we need to take a break. We can't, we can't dive into doing this again. I was like, we're not taking a break. I was like, we are revved up. I was like, we've been doing this for weeks. I was like, we're going to do this right now. And he was like, fine. So he's like leaning on my desk and we're just talking about the ways that we could basically make screen printing simpler. So right now at the time screen printing was like, you know, you have a big bottle of paint, you have a giant squeegee, you have this like frame made of a bunch of pieces that you have to put together to screen print onto fabric. So we were like, okay, well, what if we could combine the paint and the squeegee in some way? And we started just sketching out a bunch of ideas. So at one point he had sketched out something that looked kind of like one of those fans you fan like a fire with. I don't even know what that's called. Like an accordion. Oh, the thing that blows like air into a fire yeah. to make it. I yeah, don't yeah, know what it's called either. Yeah, I, know, I know it's like a. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That yeah thing. Okay. <laughs> so we drew something like that. And then we, and then eventually we came out with an idea that was essentially a ketchup packet with like a styrene sheet on the back of it super simple. And we were like, yeah, maybe if this ketchup packet is filled with paint and there's a styrene sheet on the back of it, you could tear open the, the packet and you could like squeegee out the paint. And it's like one-time use mess free. And like, you don't need all these, we get rid of the big paint bottle. We get rid of the squeegee. And then we replace the frame with like a stick on um, screen printing sheet. So you're just like no frame. You put your, your sheet on, you squeegee out your paint, like super easy. And then we, we were like, I think this could work. So we go and we mock it up in the office with like scotch tape. Like we cut a piece of styrene. We like tape together a little bag for the paint and like just fake the whole thing. And we took a video of it and we were like, oh my God, this works. And it's amazing. Cause it like, it surprises you with the ease and simplicity of screen printing. Like suddenly a 20, 30 minute process becomes this clean five second thing. And we pitched it and they loved it and they patented it. And I had no idea what a big deal that was. And then, and then it, it, it was in Walmart. I think it was in, it was in a couple other places, but I saw it and took a photo of it at Walmart. Uh, but that was my very first invention, zip screens. There's a whole heap of like tenacity and grit within that whole description. What, what, yeah. what was your most successful toy that you ever worked on? I, ooh, probably anything and everything I did at Toys R Us. I want, okay, one, this one project, I did a Black Friday um, desk for this brand called Totally Me. So I worked on a line of arts and crafts toys and they wanted a Black Friday prod product to like yep. sell, super sale, whatever. And I was like, you know what? I would have loved as a kid, a giant desk for all of my crafts. And they were like, okay, great. But it has to be like $20. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I like designed and ideated like a tabletop desk, a floor desk, and like nothing was working. And we were coming down to the wire. I traveled to China for like a final review of this desk. And it was so complicated and so expensive. And my boss was with me and I was like, oh my God, I just screwed this up. I was like, I'm about to get fired. <laughs> it's like, oh no, things are about to go down. And then my boss was like, what if you just like, uh, we were walking around the showroom and he he saw this toy that was like made of these pipes. And he was like, do you think you could just make the toy out of this? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, just make the desk out of these pipes. So we go and we put together these pipes. It's like a pre-existing product. And we organize them in a way that it shapes like an L-shaped desk. And then I design like a cap that goes on top of it to give it like a lid. And I build in all these things like a ruler and a, and a place to store your made jewelry and your beads and like all this stuff. And like that product just like sold out and it was so cheap. Like the cost for what you were getting was like giant life-size, like child-size desk for like 20, I think it was like $25 or something. It was amazing. I was so proud. And my brand manager who manages all like the finances at the time, she was like, first of all, you have the highest margin of any Black Friday thing we're doing this year. Like that was amazing. And then she said, second of all, it like sold so fast. So I was proud. <laughs> was it was it hard to leave the industry? Uh, and I know you haven't. I know you haven't left the industry officially. I get that. But the 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 world of of a, of a let's say a corporate job and all that. 
Um, the pandemic made it a lot easier. I think it would have been harder if I was going into my big, beautiful office with the toys everywhere every day. And then one day I wasn't, um, but being at home doing the same work, it made it a lot easier. And the first like six months ago, I would have said, oh yeah, I miss it. But since then I've really developed such a strong relationship with like companies like Hasbro and Mattel and Jazzwares because I built out a virtual pitch event for them to come to. So now I don't feel so separated. You know, I feel like I talk to them and email, I invite them to these events and we talk about getting together one day in the future and they come on my podcast. So I feel actually more involved because I'm free to talk to everyone instead of being in one company. Yeah. And I want to, I think for people listening to this, you know, I joked a little bit about this great resignation thing, but there are a lot of people contemplating and reflecting on what life is for them right now. Yeah. And, and one of the things I wrote a paper recently, a kind of a guide about, well, just be careful what you wish for, because the pathway into entrepreneurship is full of challenges in its own right. It's a different place. It's so hard. <laughs> so let's talk about this. Let's talk about this as we, as we, as we finish our conversation. Cause I think, I think the toy stuff, the toy stuff is fascinating in its own right, but I'm really interested in, in your journey here. Yeah. So what was the, the spark? Obviously we spoke about was, you know, I don't want to go back to this, this traditional way of doing things. And then you needed to think, well, I need to, I need to have an income. I need to build a business. I need to do that. How did you, how did you sort of structure that? Was it more intuitive? Like I'm just no. going to try a few things or did you really plan this out? Well, to give backstory first, my mom was an entrepreneur my whole life. She still is an okay. entrepreneur my whole life. So I've entrepreneurial, I actually have a costume business on the side. I don't really have time for it anymore. <laughs> so I've done the entrepreneurial thing and I've made, not made money with it before I've done it. Um, I never wanted to do it full time. So what happened was I got a, an offer to work with somebody and they said, oh, we want to, we want to hire you for like, um, a set amount of money, essentially a retainer every month. And so when so I this was an employment, this was as a consultant, it was like a consultant situation. Yeah. So I, when that came, I was like, well, this is the opportunity. Like this is the only chance that for me, knowing what entrepreneurship is like, having done it on the side and having seen my mom do it, this is like a steady transition into that. So that had the podcast started at this point. Yes. Yeah. And did you start the podcast? You may don't want, this may be one of the questions that you don't want to answer. No, it's all right. <laughs> you left now. You left now. People ask no, me this and I'm really asked. Did you start the podcast to put yourself out there a little bit for those types of opportunities? So when I first, no, when I first started the podcast, I really thought, um, I really thought I was going to put something out there and I could direct people to it. But I definitely noticed once people started noticing me, I was like, oh, wow. Like I should have been doing this for years. I, I felt like I didn't realize how, how hidden I was in the toy industry until I did this. And I'm like, you, everyone should do this. I know it's a massive, it's, a, it's an amazing gift. The idea of putting yourself out there in some form of platform. And, you know, yeah. even if the stuff you put out there is polarizing, right? Mine is, yeah. I get, I get yeah. all sorts of different things being said to me. Oh, no. Um, no, it's all good. Like, you, there's a point where you kind of get, if you're going to put yourself out there on a platform, you've got to be able to take the good and the bad with that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but what I'm hearing here is it wasn't yeah. overly strategic. It was no. more like you just felt that you wanted to do this and then, yeah. then Strategy things came. Strategy got it. came later. Yeah. Okay. And so you got that first gig, you know, that, yeah. so did you take that job, that um, oh, consultancy? Yeah. Oh okay, yeah. That was it. That. Oh yeah. I was okay, like, oh, good. I'll do this forever. No, <laughs> I took that job. Yeah. So I did that for like, I don't know, six months maybe. Okay. And that was the springboard. And then was it through that process that you started to, you know, be more creative, let's say on building this kind of world around, you know, the commercial world around what you're doing? Uh, so I mean, that, that project was really consuming. So I didn't do much more than that project in the podcast, but at the same time, I was building my course, my program to teach people how to do this on their own. If they don't, if they can't work with me one-on-one. Okay. So during the process of building that program is where I started to say like, okay, let me try to build my brand. Like, what do I want to be? What do I want to stand for? And then I started having more of my face on things and people did um, interact with me less and in different ways because I started showing my face. Like there was definitely a moment of like, you know, who, who are you, you know, kind of thing. Well, there will but, be that transition where people um, yeah. see you as one thing and then you're something else. But what, um, yeah. when you went through those questions, yeah. like, you know, what do I want to stand for? What do I want to stand against that type of thing? What came yeah. up? 
Oof. It, I, what I realized, I kind of went seven layers deep and I realized that my purpose for doing everything is because I want the autonomy to not be, not give negative energy to other people. So I feel like what I, what I figured out was in my childhood, a lack of money led to a lot of stress and it led to a lot of like animosity. And then they would put that on me. So people would put that on me and that would turn me into a negative and angry person. So like my dream is that my business will just allow me to be a better person because I won't have that like fear and animosity and worry about money in my future so that I can just be more positive and and not bring other people down with that negativity. And like, even in my career, like I was getting good money, but like it there were, it was really hard to like, just do all this stuff for somebody else and not have anything that you've built that you own. And that I think was getting me really negative in my relationships and my conversations. And like, I just don't want to be that. Like, I want to have a business where I feel good about it. And I feel like I'm uplifting myself and I'm using all my skills and I have time to do that. And then I can be better, a better person for my partner and for the people I interact with, like you, like, yeah, that's my goal. Good answer. Oh, thanks. So, so, so one of my mantras, which I say at the end of my um, single podcast episodes is be grateful, be brave, have faith and show up. Mm-hmm. And the point being, and you just actually articulated those points so beautifully, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a bit where if you show up, again, I'll paraphrase it a bit and you can tell me if this is right or wrong. Yeah. But if you show up as, as a great version of you and a happy version of you, you know, without all the kind of prejudices and fears and anxieties that a lot of us have, the things that you then need right? You know, around you, like, you know, people coming to you, giving you work for income and all that to, you know, people who you, you tend to attract that stuff more. I agree that I literally saw it happen in my business. In the beginning, people would message me and ask me questions and I would just like answer, answer, answer. And then people would give me work. And then toward the middle, everyone, like I started getting coached. Right. And my coaches were like, you're giving too much away for free. Like, stop. And I'd be <laughs> like, I'd be like, okay. So then when people would message me, I'd be like, sorry, can't do that. But like, here's my link to book. And that just like, didn't, it didn't make me feel good. And it yep. didn't make them feel I good. I hope you fired those coaches. Cause that's crappy advice. Yeah, it is. Well, it was like, I don't know if it was a person <laughs> I'd hired, but it was like a community I was around. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it was like people I was learning from. So now I flipped back, not all the way back. Cause I would literally spend like an hour, like answering like all these questions, but now I flip back and I've realized like, wait a second, I have all of these podcast episodes. So when people ask me questions, I say, okay, this specific question is specifically in this episode. And I was like, if you want to work with me, I suggest first you listen to this, get all the answers you can. And then you can have better questions, better uh, questions for me. And then we could work together. And if you can't afford to work with me, I have like this free group you can join and you can like submit podcast suggestions. Like I make it more like true to who I am. Like I am here to help and that's what I want to do. I do have to pay my bills, but I want to make sure everybody feels good while all that's happening, right? No, no, it makes perfect sense. The the reason I'm probing this is not really about trying to understand more of your story. It's just, I know there are a lot of people listening to this who are not yet at the point where they're, they're ready to be able to jump into it. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. So, so, so what I'm, what I'm really articulating here is how you did it to hopefully inspire others that it's, it's not necessarily easy, but you have to straight stay true to who you are. And yeah. if you have faith in that decision, right. And, and try not to be compromised by what others think or expect you to do, then ultimately you'll be successful. It may not necessarily be on that day, but right. at some point it will be. Yeah, at some point. Yeah. No, well, I, I, um, my, my story was, was, you know, I'll share this very quickly with you, but I, when I, when I left the world of private equity, I, um, I went, I had to go and do a bit of soul searching myself. Yeah. And I first heard the quote by a guy called Zig Ziglar, which is if you, if you help enough people in the world, um, get what they want, you'll have everything that you want. Right. Is there more? No, that's the main gist of it. The idea is that don't, don't go into the world thinking, don't go into the world thinking that it's all about you go out there and add value to others without any major expectation, right? Just, just help people. Right. And then see what comes back. And you know what I mean? Have you heard that before? No, I have heard it. I'm just thinking it is so hard when you are an entrepreneur, especially when you start to get some success, everybody's going to tell you to like do the opposite of that. (laughs) Well, people want to pull you down too, but I mean, like, you know, I've got a different set of um, friends I hang out with now and they tend to be more in the world that we're in. But, you know, when I said that sort of be grateful, you know, um, be brave, peace, have faith, show up. The gratitude part is, 
for me, um, about how you face fear, because if you're grateful for what you've got, then it's hard to be scared at the same point. You might've heard that before. Yeah. Um, having faith is a little bit like we just spoke about. You've got to trust the process, right? Being brave, you know, again, making a decision to change everything is brave and showing up is about the action you take day in, day out, right? Without yeah. worrying too much about what that's going to become. So, so it's just interesting, your story, I just, the reason I keep drawing a line back to that is your story reflects that quite well. Well, that's nice. I hope I can keep doing that. Of course you can. It's a journey. It's, it's a, journey. a journey. It's a journey. It's not. You got to keep checking in. You got <laughs> to check it. in and you've got to like that. You've got to, well, you've got to learn to appreciate the journey for the journey as opposed to um, the, the destination. Yes. No, that's a hundred percent. One of the things I've heard before is like, people always think like, oh, once I make this many sales, everything will be fine. And once I get to this level, everything will be fine. But the truth of the matter is like the higher you get, the more problems that are actually going to come and the more challenges you're actually going to have. So then that idea makes me think I love right now because I, I know exactly what's going on right now. <laughs> I know, I know. Like as soon as I go to the next level, it's going to be more stuff to figure out. So I'm like, right now is good. <laughs> right now is great. You do seem, you do see someone who's very, very kind of present and balanced around things. Certainly it's in the, the last- it's the, Boxing 45 minutes class. of us talking It's the boxing class i did this morning i'm telling you i got all my zen so so the advice um uh, that we've got here is you've got to go and watch the movie fight club right <laughs> <laughs> gotta go to boxing as the says here and that's gonna that's gonna be the secret to everything the secret yeah so so as we finish our conversation up what's i, I just want to kind of think about what's next for you and and i appreciate that you don't seem like someone who's that far ahead to thinking about the future you seem as i said very present <laughs> Which is, which I think is really, there's a, there's a skill in this again. That's why I want yeah. to draw it out because a lot of people are worrying about what's going to happen here, right out here somewhere, but you seem quite right, right now. Right. I so because of the kickboxing. Okay. You've <laughs> but, just come from class, isn't it? I know what's going on. Um, but what, if, if I said to you, um, and these might be some big questions, so play with it a bit, but sure. you know, the bigger mission that you have, right. Of what you're trying to do. So that's your ability. And also kind of, you know, if, if you jump forward, let's say 10 years, what is it you're trying to create? Ooh, 10 years? Oh my I know. goodness. I could have said one, but that would be too easy. I, like the things that have happened in one year, I'm like 10 years? I don't even, okay. It's, so, called a, it's called a vision in my world. And sometimes it should be something so big that sometimes you can't even think about the comprehension of actually achieving it. Are you so, trying to make a difference in the world? Are you trying to inspire something different? Is that there yet? Or is that just not, is that the next part of your journey? To work that out. Make a difference in the world. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. All right. Here we go. It's okay if you don't know, by the way. Don't in, think you have to answer it like just because I asked a weird question. No, it's fine. I'm, I'm <laughs> if you're going to sit here while I figure out my life, like that's fine by me. I'll do it. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, we've got three minutes. No, I'm joking. Okay. I'm joking. No, but again, yeah. remember what I said, like, you know, some, these are the questions that people ponder, right? When they're trying to work yeah. their stuff out. That's why I'm curious when I, when I have someone like you come on, I'm curious yeah. about the, the lessons and the learnings that you're going through. So like 10 years, well, I mean, within 10 years, I definitely want to have a TV show. I know I haven't really, oh, that's good. About- I haven't talked about this much, but I definitely want a toy related TV show. So if you're listening and you, <laughs> well, you know, what's going to happen now. One of my producer right. friends is going to call you up. Oh, you see? So that's oh. going to be. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, yeah, I'm working. That's something I'm working on, but um, I, I mean, I don't know if this is going to happen. The toy industry is like very closed off. What I've done is very out of the norm and people don't like to share ideas. So I would love to be a part of this movement. And it's not just me, like there's some yeah. friends of mine in the industry that like this too, this movement where ideas are more freely shared so that, um, especially within the inventor community, so that we can kind of work more as a collective to develop them instead of there being all these good ideas with the wrong people and not getting developed the right way or shown at the right time. So I would love to be a part of that bigger movement where the toy coaches, you know, helping bring people together and connect people in a way that ideas don't get lost. Like the good ideas don't get lost and helping keep everybody up to date with like things like the metaverse so that we don't fall behind in our industry. And we can, you know, we can use these things to further play, uh, in society. So that would be cool. That was a great answer. Are you sure you haven't oh. thought about that? No, I mean, I just, that no. was really, that was, I mean, you had legacy in that you had, you know, community movements, you know, you're thinking about, 
making a change in an industry that's perhaps, you know, lost lost a little bit of, of what it probably is all about. That was pretty yeah. big, wasn't it? What you just well, said? I mean, it's stuff that's kind of circling in my space now. So I can see there's a potential. And when people come to me, I've noticed one of the biggest things they say to me is, Ajel, like you've given me such inspiration and drive. So I, I, I listen to that. And that to me says, I have an opportunity to build community that is supportive. So that's where that came from. Yeah. Cool. See, easy, easy answer. So you got, you got this nailed and you have a book. Yeah. A coming book? out. No, of course. Of course coming out. Oh, sorry. So sorry. Oh, sorry. I thought it was a book when we spoke. So you've got, so tell us yeah. about what you've got coming out next. Maybe I'll have a book one day. Oh, there you <laughs> go. No. Now, now you've got a TV show and a book. We've just a inspired it on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, so you've got a course coming out soon. Tell us about that. Yeah. Toy Creators Academy is my coaching and connections program. I launch it twice a year because I'm in it with you. And that's what people say that they love. So that's what we're going to keep on doing. Um, it's like, it's 12 weeks and it will teach you kind of the stuff we talked through here, uh, developing your idea, connecting with the right uh, manufacturers or designers, um, and then selling it, whether you want to go the entrepreneur route or the inventor route. And at the end of Toy Creators Academy, I'm so proud to talk about my TCA virtual pitch event because I've gotten all these toy companies now for two oh, wow. Yeah. Two events in a row. I've gotten toy companies and so far one retailer and one distributor, but we'll have more. I mark my words um, to come and see what the, the people, the graduates of Toy Creators Academy are working on. So we do like Zoom pitch meetings and it's awesome. So toycreatorsacademy.com and yeah. There you go. So, 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 so if that's, that is for people to be super clear, you know, you, yeah. you, you've got a creative idea, like, yeah, so it doesn't exactly. have to be a fully formed prototype of a toy, does it? It has to, it, no, you no just, it doesn't. It, you could you can have a creative idea or not even have an idea and it will show you how to brainstorm and come up with one so so that's cool so someone here who's listening to this that might still be in that dead end job right <laughs> hates it like going you know what i want to do something a bit more fun then they can definitely look you up yes, <laughs> and do that like yeah if you have an idea you want to have an idea it's super fun you'll meet people you'll learn so much and grow your toy network so it's awesome yeah awesome all right. Well, listen, last question for you is, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you and a either participate in the, in the, in the course, the program, or just to get in touch with you? Yeah. At the toy coach, I'm on Instagram most of the time, but literally I've claimed that domain everywhere. So the toy or at the toy coach, you will find me. Okay. And I'll finish up by saying anyone who's out there, who's scared of niching down, <laughs> <laughs> because they think that the world is so small when you niche down that you don't get opportunity. Uh, you know, go back and listen to this again. <laughs> I know. I do what I do. <laughs> okay. Very good. Uh, Ajel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming out. Scale up with me, Nick Bradley. It's been it was awesome. It was awesome, Nick. It was really great. We got to, we got to talk more. We got to riff some more. Awesome. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you very much. I want to wish you all the best for what you're doing. And uh, I said, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you. Take care. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you've enjoyed the show just as much as I've enjoyed creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything that you heard in today's show, to find out how you can join our community on Facebook or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now.